This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, Brent Robinson and I conclude our conversation with safety mythologist and historian Carsten Bush. Carsten is the Indiana Jones of safety and the author of the work of Heinrich, Safety Myths 101, and if you can't measure it, maybe you shouldn't. Recently, Carsten published his latest book, The First Rule of Safety Culture, A Counter C Word Manifesto. His new book is about thinking critically about safety culture. The book also tries to offer some useful and practical suggestions for different approaches or at least different ways of thinking about these subjects. Please sit back and enjoy the conclusion of this two-part series as we discuss the C word in safety with Carsten. Okay, well, uh, doing safety works is probably a, a more useful uh, way to measure if you must measure than, uh, than looking at uh, what comes out uh, at, in the end. But, uh, well, <clears throat> I, I would prefer uh, measuring as little as possible uh, and rather uh, get conversations going. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of where we, that's, well, that's not sort of, that's where we're at that, you know, in, in Lean, it was always a, a gimbal walker, a, you know, a, really just talking to people out there. I don't care what we call it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care what the words are, but we talk about everyday work. Um, and I find those much more powerful. As long as you've got um, trust and rapport with the people that you're talking to. I see a lot of people go out there and say, I've done two safety walks this month. And, you know, you go and speak to the people that have just, encountered that and it looks a lot like a um a dupont safety card to me and i don't think that it's a very helpful way of doing it because you know you're expecting that something's going wrong and you're trying to catch them out so you know as long as they're positive and and open and i just see these metrics being developed off this where uh they have people have an index and say oh you know our, our safety index this month is 9.1 we're doing really well I'm really yeah, nervous. What, 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 what does it mean? I know. <laughs> I, I mentioned this in, in a uh, end note in, in a new book uh, where, uh, and, and I had written this down. I had totally forgotten about it. And I found it in my notes of four years' time where <laughs> we had an applicant uh, who wrote to us. Uh, well, she uh, <clears throat> worked as a safety advisor, so and so. And and uh, she bragged about the results because she had uh, moved the company uh, from uh, 0.38 to 0.65 without explaining what it meant. And, and right. I sat there and thought, what, what is this lady thinking? <laughs> that, that she's impressing me with, with a number that doesn't mean anything. And, and by the way, a safety advisor moving a company uh of course it's possible uh, probably she fills out the report or whatever but uh it's it's not the safety advisor there who creates safety it's the people it's it's management it's it's the interplay that creates safety not the safety advisor yeah we've um 
we've been working with one business and they have this uh, safety index and you know there'll be 9.1 or 8.5 and so you talk to some of the safety people and they say oh you know it's really heading in the right direction then you talk to the managers and they go oh, we just want to understand the mathematics behind it so we can improve our number yeah, I, I think you've missed the point at that point I understand why you're trying to do it because you want the best number out of all the divisions but um, are you making your people safer is the question you need to be asking and you know so they're so um, easy to adapt and manipulate sometimes but, but I think we've got to be careful because it sends the wrong message yeah I, I totally agree at the same time I think it's important that we as safety people also understand the power that it can have because pushing for a number uh, for a while can be very useful to, to get things going, but then uh, we must be uh, watchful that the number doesn't get the important thing. That's Goodhart's law. Uh, if a number becomes too important, then it, it loses its value. Mm -hmm. You can use it initially to, to get stuff going and then, uh, well, when it becomes the normal way of doing things, uh, well, drop the number. So that's interesting. So you're saying that it can be the catalyst, but you can't then rely on it for all yeah, future yeah. stuff. And, and I have a good example, I think, from um, my previous employer. That is big. Uh, we were working on our culture. And at the time, I wasn't as annoyed uh, about uh, <laughs> the abuse of the word. And But we really did good stuff. We, we talked to people and, and all that. Uh, and as a part of that uh, program, uh, the, our CEO, uh, or whatever her title was, uh, she said, uh, we will look at the, our improvement system, the deviations we have, and uh, I do not want to have any uh, overdue actions. So we will have this as a part of uh, our weekly management team, and uh, we, we will uh, measure the divisions on it. And, and so they got going, because if the big boss wants something and the big boss wants zero, people work. And so there, there we, we had some really uh, tragic uh, things that uh, safety advisors would lock onto the system on Sunday uh, and move dates. Mm -hmm. All the all the stuff that's overdue, mm -hmm. that they would move it forward a couple of weeks because then you we on on Monday Karsten is going to push the big button and there's the report and then we don't want a, a number higher than zero there. But it happens sometimes that I wasn't on a, on a. a uh, on the job on Monday and I would uh, do the report on Saturday and then uh, people would get all frustrated. Why did you do this? Uh, because uh, <laughs> we need Sunday to, to fix the date. But then there was this one manager in, in Oslo in the, in the big uh, area and she had well like 40% of all uh, deviations of the whole country because in Oslo is where the train traffic is, was the railway administration. And she said, well, I am not going to do this anymore. Uh, we have a lot of work. Uh, uh, we, we have safety and it's important. And of course we need to follow up our uh, dates, but I would rather uh, uh, make uh, my problem visible 
I have a lot of stuff to do and I don't have the time and the resources to, to get it done. And I'd rather make it visible than uh, strive for a zero that's just fake because we uh, waste time on, on moving dates. And this was accepted by, by top management. They said, okay, you're exempt from this zero because this is a good argument. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, that, that that's brilliant. I think it was a great as a catalyst to show and, and, and the, the, the CEO kept showing her commitment to we do want to get as close to this number, but not at uh, this idiotic uh, cost of uh, wasting Sundays on uh, moving deadlines and then thinking that we're safe. Yes. Well, Brent and I talk about, you know, the one thing I really like about Lean is you know people strive to have green but the the one of the great lean guys i've had the privilege of working with wears said brent when you've got all green you've got a much bigger problem than if you got red he goes red's beautiful because he, when you got a red um card you know you got a problem so it's an opportunity to go fix it and he goes it's fantastic so let's go fix the let's go find some red cards and he you know anybody that had all green he would just you know go yeah don't believe you let's go find some stuff and that's the way he worked and it's so true isn't it that, that, that there'll be stuff that'll be hidden or covered up or moved or whatever it might be it's and it's, it's such so much more powerful and authentic if you can have that that conversation so we, we use it saying we call it um embrace the red and fear the green <laughs> yeah or as todd will say what's happening when nothing's happening because there's that that link between things that are in green must be good therefore nothing's going nothing's going wrong because it has to be in the green and, and I, th I think Carson, it's, it's, it's about maturity the, the thing that puzzles me i, I sort of wonder have we got to that tipping point where we, we we have to measure activities because that measurement of activities has just become so commonplace throughout all different types of businesses, not just about safety, but, you know, we, we measure how people get paid by the hours they work. We, we, we measure, um, you know, absenteeism by the by the number of sick days. We, we measure all those things. We, we're doing lots of measurement of an activity. And, and and I think the thing that it frustrates me is that when you, and risk management is also activity, but when you then look for the narrative that goes with it, it's just absent. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, many people are only interested in number. And if it, isn't counted it's almost as if it doesn't exist yeah and if you try to come with a narrative they, they may even say well you're now just trying to justify uh, something right <clears throat> show, show, show us something objective right which is which is interesting because when i think about risk management when i when i look at a number which is what they generate or a color or a label i'll always ask the question Where's the context behind that? Yeah, uh, numbers can be very useful, but then uh, to, to have a discussion or uh, to, to hear what have you learned about it, or mm -hmm. maybe even what are, what are you going to do with this? What does it tell you uh, and what does it compel you to do? 
and and we uh, I describe it in the in the final chapter of this uh, this measurement uh, book. Uh, we we did have this routine in my current organization for a couple of years until they changed the, the system, uh, the reporting system, where we said to our underlying uh, units, uh, we do not want numbers. We can look up the numbers ourselves because we have access to the system. So you don't need to tell us how many incidents you have had. You don't have to tell us what sick leave you have. What we want from you is uh, what are you seeing? What have you learned? What are you going to do about it? Is there anything in here what others should uh, learn about? Have you experienced something that other units that are comparable to you uh, should be alerted to? And and I think we did this for two years. And, and at first they would just report as they always reported. Well, we've had so, so many falls and so many uh, accidents with cars and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, but gradually they would turn towards the storytelling, uh, what, what they had seen, what they had learned. And, and it was really great. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think it, uh, the controllers had a hard time. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, with modern technology, and we're doing a couple of projects at the moment. With modern technology, being able to capture that narrative, being able to use artificial intelligence to help us get meaning from that narrative. Um, that that's where technology is really great now. That that never existed. So, so we've been doing a project and we wrote about it two years ago in our book, The Practice of Learning Teams. We talked about the fact that that when we're engaging with workers, we're trying to gain insight through the narrative. That the, the, stories that the, the stories they're sharing with us is all about the narrative. And from that, we should be looking for insight. And what, what we talked about was that we need to capture the narrative from the worker in their own voice, not in our filtered voice. Because when we're out in the field, we're not doing everything verbatim. We're filtering the information and we're writing it in our own story, not their story. So we've been using some recent technology that's using artificial intelligence. And what it's doing is it's basically looking for those those patterns of clusters, how that, how that data starts to cluster, to try and make those weak signals more visible. But, but more importantly, is we're looking at the sentiment of the language that was used by the workers at the time. And that sentiment was telling us whether they're coping or not coping with that variability. And, and I think that's really been powerful that you can take, um, you can strip out those those keywords, those patterns, but link to its sentiment. So you could have say 10 different work groups and the word resourcing might keep be coming up. Okay, so that's a weak signal, but that word resourcing doesn't tell me about their ability to cope. So three teams, the language they use, said it was all being used in a negative sentiment. These teams, the language they were using, was telling us it was in a, a neutral sentiment, and these teams were in a positive sentiment. To me, that gives me a, another depth and another dimension to, to that data. And and so so what we found was that, that humans are re really struggle to see the forest from the trees. They really struggle to see the weak signals because there's so much noise. But what, once the AI technology identified the weak signals, then the humans could look at the narrative from that and they're able to interpret that much better than computers could. Interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, they, and they, 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 yeah. Sorry. Go no, on. go for it. Please. No, because, no. <laughs> um, because what, what we've done is we've, we've created some technology to actually capture those stories, but capture the ways that workers can relate to. And then at the back end, we've basically um, built a, a, a dashboard that then shows that information in, in ways to trigger the organization wanting to engage and to be more curious and to understand more rather than to highlight a problem or to highlight a cause. So, so what we're saying is that that uh, particularly with, with learning teams, one of the things I find really good about learning teams, it helps give you context to something. And through that context, through that storytelling, it helps to you know do problem clarification and then you know uh, problem solving as part of that. But organizations will always have finite resources as to how many learning teams they can go out and run. Never gonna overcome that. So the, the stuff that we've been looking at um, with, with Todd Conklin is about how can we get workers to lead and capturing that daily narrative that they're dealing with and how can we take that and how can we start to see patterns? And if we can start to see patterns emerging, does that give us then the ability to actually go out and, and do some more targeted learning? And, and what we've found, Carson, through this process so far is that workers have shifted their view of this process, because it's all worker-led, from being a system approach where they were having to evaluate and assess a system, meaning that the system is asking, the system is always looking for their permission, if that makes sense. So, so the system is having to give permission to where through storytelling, workers are now being able to critically appraise information. And anecdotally, what we've seen so far is that the workers' perspective of their psychological safety has shifted because they feel that they've got more autonomy and more job control because they're feeling that they're no longer having to give permission to the system. The system is seeking their permission instead. Super interesting, this. <clears throat> yeah, but it's all anecdotal. And at the moment, we're, we're thinking about how can we use some form of evaluative assessment to actually, oh, this sounds really bad, to measure that shift. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to make it science from, uh, from make it solid. To, to science, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, which is quite sad, isn't it? But one of the things we're gonna one of the things we're gonna hear, which is back to your your latest book, Carsten, will be oh, but before you can do that you need to change the culture of the organization from the top down. I'm willing yeah, to put probably. money on that at some stage. So you know. I've de- I've seen enough lean implementations to say you have to start at the top and work your way down and it's all about the culture. So I'm I'm keen to hear your views on that because i think that's that's we have heard that quite a bit haven't we brent and then there are so many books uh, saying it and then also the big names uh, tossing around must come from leadership and so on but <clears throat> well oh, my, my uh, hr director uh, she would say for many years and and so far she's kept her word uh, we are not going to do a culture project uh, we will uh, change or influence culture through changing the work way we work 
and I think that that's great because then then you if you need to change at all and well probably we want to change some aspects of, of culture or how, how we work just uh, change it through every day by introducing new means of working by introducing new technology uh, other forms of uh, I think the way uh, you described the brand uh, to, to gather uh, data and and patterns and, and make the, the voice of workers at the sharp end uh, heard mm-hmm. and and try to find the real issues behind uh, what they report. Uh, I think that's a brilliant way to affect uh, culture and, and get other stuff going. Yeah, because there's always going to be outliers. That, that, yeah. That's because because we got asked the question. Well, what happens if we miss something? Well, I can tell you, you're missing it all now. <laughs> if if you're not listening to workers now, you're missing all of it. You're missing every week signal. You're only seeing, and Todd's analogy is that iceberg analogy, that organizations are only seeing it from the sea level and above. And they're only seeing the strong signals because that's only when weak signals become strong is once it's actually gone above the water level. And I recently, I've just done this diagram that basically has Heinrich's pyramid above the sea level. And then we put Eric Honagel's Circles of Learning alongside it. And, and then, yes, we, we, we tilt Heinrich's Pyramid slightly <laughs> and then extend it out, get rid of the numbers and just have the, the categories. And it's quite fascinating how they look very, very similar at, at the end of it. It's been a little controversial in some areas though, hasn't it, Brent? Yeah. That, that, that Heinrich was so misaligned or, or, or misunderstood or uh, I would actually like to say after reading your book about Heinrich Carsten I'd actually like to say that he was using language of an error yes he, he was you, you have to put his work in, in into the context as we should do with everything the, the context of the time he was working and and well there, there were some big st- things going on in his time uh, you first had the, the, the well the major financial crisis which was probably fortunate for him because his message was heard he had a way to save money through safety brilliant uh, and and he even had numbers to prove it um, which was double brilliant and uh, well when when the, the big crisis was gone then there was the war and again, safety was uh, essential because every lost work hour in a factory uh, was going to harm uh, the, the war efforts. And then uh, that was even so strong that there was uh, propaganda in the United States at the time uh, saying that, well, uh, aligning uh, accidents with uh, sabotage, unwanted sabotage, which is quite strong language. Wow. Uh, but, uh, well, <laughs> We are now speaking about blaming workers. Well, you're you're blaming people at the time of being traders. Yeah, committing treason. 
Yeah, it's 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 yeah. treason. You have an accident. You're a traitor. So that's that, the death uh, penalty. Yeah. yeah so, well, <laughs> that that would be a really lost time. Uh, but but that that's the context of of Heinrich's uh, work, and and then of course the the whole relationship uh, that they were different. He, he has this this phrasing that we wouldn't uh, use uh, this time, and and it, it was a male society, of course. Uh, all, uh, the early uh, safety uh, writers uh, they they write about uh, safety man and and workman and foreman and it, it it's the context so you have to understand it but if you if you look at what what is he really saying and and strip away the numbers then then it's it's ahead of his time and it's it's timeless in a way uh, what, what he's saying and then there is this other uh, thing, uh, keep in mind uh, who his audience is. Uh, because we read his books uh, as if they're safety books. And they are, of course, because they are about safety. But there are first and uh, foremost uh, management books. They're books directed at managers, top managers. Uh, and, and he tries to hand them practical ways to deal with a problem that they knew nothing about. Well, they thought they knew nothing about because he, say, he, he says to them, uh, you can run your business, then you can also run your business safely because the principles behind it are basically the same. Find the problems, look behind the problem, find a suitable solution uh, and then put it in work and follow up. So the, he, he has this plan, do, study, uh, uh, <laughs> in his work. Yes, yeah. yes. absolutely. And, of course, <clears throat> and when we think about um, Edward Deming, we think about him that, uh, you know, at the end of World War II, um, he's tasked with supporting the, the Marshall Plan in Japan. And, of course, the Japanese are, are having to do things with whatever they've got. They don't have the luxury of being able to source all these raw materials. They have to make do with what they've got. So, of course, his his whole thing, that that whole sort of genre into the whole lean and, and Toyota is, is ideal because now they're having to, you know, uh, optimise everything and, and they're having to innovate. But isn't it interesting that Heinrich was actually on the same path? They're, all, they're both on the same, you know, one built from, I don't know if one built from the other, but they're very much aligned, really. Yeah, of- yeah. Uh, I, I think they are, and um, Eric he, he writes a bit about it in his. Uh, is it in his Cynicist book, where he uh, where he uh, does a discussion word and Deming and a bit mm-hmm. of Heinrich. And then I've actually been in contact with uh, with Eric at around the time he asked me, "Do you know whether they uh, met at some point?" Uh, Sheward and and Heinrich uh, trying to find out, but I don't think they ever met. But I think if they had, they, they probably would be well very much in sync. E- even though that they, they were totally different people, because Heinrich he was this blue blue collar guy who didn't have an academic education. Well, well, Sheward he was this this brilliant uh, academic. Mm-hmm. And uh, Deming was a statistician, <laughs> you know. So it's it's, it's um, 
I, I just love how the two have come together. But I, you know, I hear this conversation here in Australia where you know, they, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, this doesn't work, and and quality circles and that that quality movement has died out. And I'm thinking to myself, you really need to go and have a look because it hasn't. It's just changed and it's adapted over over the period. And it's as relevant today as it was ten years ago or thirty years ago. And, we're all still using some of those tools and some of those processes and ways of thinking about stuff. I always find that amazing that there's a new shiny thing over here. Eh, I'm not so sure. I don't it's like it's, something old. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 yeah, and, and some of it is simply just a pig with some better lipstick painted on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or or, or just uh, the the time may be ripe now uh, be, because now we have concepts and words to to describe stuff. Because if you look at all the all the new view stuff, uh, it really isn't that new. But but now we 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 finally have the words and then we have put it together with some other uh, scientific uh, areas. I think. By complexity uh, science, uh, which now has become much more mature, and then we've uh, left the purely technological, psychological uh, part of safety that we've been in uh, from, well, the beginning of last century until the 70s, and then sociologists uh, have found a much greater voice because I think uh, most of the interesting stuff in safety uh, written in the last decade, it it comes from sociologists like Charles Perrow and Diane Vaughan and and Barry Turner. I'm a big fan of Turner. (coughs) That's sociology, (coughs) not not the traditional uh, technological or psychological uh, safety, which because of uh, the, the science they are is much more reductionist while at the well complexity science system science uh, uh, sociology uh, that they, they look at the whole and then the interactions in the whole and that's what makes it interesting for me and yeah, yeah i think well I, I agree it's that holistic approach Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.